Chloe. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And welcome to all our new listeners. Yes, welcome everyone. Get yourself a nice drink, get comfy and relax. Let us take you on a journey after the ending of films and... Well, it's got to be films, because that's why you came here. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're pretty much going to talk about movies. But yeah. uh, we we definitely want to say hello to anybody who is a new listener. Uh, this is our first uh, kind of official After the Ending episode since uh, something exciting happened for us last week, which was that the BBC, that would be one British Broadcasting Corporation, the flagship cultural mecca, if you will, of England and the UK in general. Am I saying that all right, Phil? You, you know yes, I, I am understanding every word. They uh, they put out a list last week of the top 25 culture podcasts that will blow your mind. And we are extremely proud to say that we were included on that list. Yes, you could say it blew our minds when we found out. (laughs) It really did. Uh, Only five film podcasts were were included, um, and that that put us alongside uh, the great You, uh, You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth and... And Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's film reviews. Now, I've mentioned uh, Mr. Kermode and Mr. Mayo on this show a few times in the past. Mark Kermode is something of a hero of mine. He's my all-time favorite film critic. Uh, So to be uh, literally right next to him on the list was something of a moment for me. I'm not going to lie. Very much the same feeling for me as well because I'm a a fan of Mark Kermode and his reviews. Uh, I got his book, met him at a book signing. And he was most uh, pleasant to talk to. And then at a screen, uh, so jealous. And at this, yeah, at a screening I went to in London, it was for some animated thing that uh, Edgar Wright was doing. Mark Kermode was there as well. And afterwards, while I was I was chatting to Edgar Wright, Mark Kermode stood on my foot and he apologised to me. Wow! And I said, Mark, that's okay. <laughs> it's like you guys are are like old friends, you know. Well, I am sh- I'm sure Mark would deny that. That's just the way Mark is with me. He'll probably say he doesn't know who I am or what I'm talking about. But that's just a little game we play. Right. Well, I, I, I'll be honest, Phil. I, I do the same thing when people ask me if I know you. So I can understand it. <laughs> let's, let's, should we move on? Should we move on? <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so our thanks to the writer of that article, Sophia Smith-Gaylor, uh, for, for including us. It was a, a true honor for us. It was really nice to know that uh, people who, who really know a thing or two about, about arts and culture, uh, the BBC, thought that we were worthy of inclusion on that list and think that we are, quote, mind-blowing. Um, it, it really tickled us, and so we, we greatly appreciate it. Yes, it is an honor. And thank you to everybody who is now listening to us who were uh, got here via that list. Yes. Well, those people listening are probably hoping we will move this along and get into what we actually do, which is create after the endings for our films. Uh, Phil, why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about in this episode? Yeah, I will. But first of all, I will just let, let them know that when uh, we do these after the endings, uh, neither Mike or myself know what the other one has done. So it's a surprise to us. And if there's any similarities, it's pure coincidence on a quantum level. But today we will be going after the ending of 2006's The Breakup and also 1994's Forrest Gump. So get your box of chocolates ready. 
it's going to be groovy. And also we do uh, our top 10 films of 2006. Yes, it is a jam-packed episode, so why don't we start things off? Phil, should we start with uh, The Breakup? Yeah, let's get to it. Do you want to run through what goes on in The Breakup? Spoilers sure ahead thing. for new listeners. Spoilers ahead, that's right. Uh, so The Breakup, 2006, directed by Peyton Reed, uh, who also went on to direct Ant-Man, a, a significantly better film. Uh, <laughs> it stars Vince Vaughn, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston, Jason Bateman, Joey Lauren Adams, and John Favreau. So in the film, Gary Grabowski, played by Vince Vaughn, and Brooke Myers, played by Jennifer Aniston, meet at Wrigley Field during a Chicago Cubs game, and they begin dating, eventually buying a condo together. They eventually get in a big fight and break up, each seeking advice from their friends Addie, played by Joey Lauren Adams, and Johnny, played by John Favreau. Then they basically try and win each other back several times, but the other one keeps screwing it up. They try a last-ditch attempt to get together, but it doesn't work. Their friend Gary, played by Jason Bateman, sells their condo, and they split for good. And the movie ends with Gary basically taking a more active role in his tour guide business while Brooke travels the world and eventually returns to Chicago. Uh, they meet on the street once again at the end. They catch up briefly and they part ways, but they look back at each other and share a smile. And that is The Breakup. It's got a great cast. It does. And it did have moments which I did chuckle, but uh, on the whole, it wasn't one of those films which stuck with me. Lots of potential, but it just didn't seem, it didn't all click. It should have been really, really good because everybody involved is really good, but uh, it didn't. Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of this film. I um, I remember seeing it and I, I – you know, the title is kind of a spoiler. You, you keep expecting them to get back together, but then they don't. And it just sort of leaves you at the end of the movie with like this kind of unpleasant feeling. Um, it's a little too true to real life, I think, in regards to yeah, some breakups. That, it? Yeah. Um, but it does have one of my favorite movie lines pretty much of all time in it, though, which I think is indicative of how real relationships work. And it's when Vince Vaughn says to Jennifer Aniston, do you want me to help you with the dishes? And she's like, no, I don't want you to help me to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. <laughs> and he goes, why would I want to do the dishes? Nobody I, wants to do the dishes. <laughs> right. I've always felt that was a really brilliant piece of dialogue in an otherwise not so great movie. As you say, there's little bits and pieces which you go, yeah, and then it doesn't it doesn't carry on. Yeah. It's like a few a few little ups and then it just sort of meanders the rest of the way. Well, we're going to try and make it a better film by adding on to it and giving it uh, some after the endings that, that really shine. So, Phil, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your day after? Okay. Both Gary and Brooke go through the day as normal. Brooke's meeting goes well and Gary finishes off the chores and things he had to get done. However, throughout the day, their thoughts keep returning to the chance meeting they had early that day. Both have grown as people and neither thought they would see each other again. In their minds, they'd both moved on, but seeing the other awoke feelings within them. And that's my day after. Very nice. Okay, then. That was my day after. What about yours? Okay. So Brooke and Gary both go on with their lives, re-entering the dating pool. They go through one bad dating scenario after another. Meanwhile, Addie and Johnny run into each other one day at the grocery store and get to talking about Brooke and Gary. They end up getting coffee together, and eventually they realize they have a deep connection and begin a torrid affair, throwing away any other relationships to the wind. They keep it secret from Brooke and Gary at first because they don't want them to be mad at them, as it will obviously complicate their friendships if Addie and Johnny are together. However, one day at a Chicago Cubs game, Addie and Johnny end up on the Jumbotron, and Johnny gets down on one knee and proposes to Addie. She says yes, and then they realize they're going to have to break the news to Brooke and Gary. And that's my day after. Excellent. It's already better than the actual film itself. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I take that as a compliment, although it's not really that high of a bar. I know, but, but I, li I like that, the fact I'll that it's, it. yeah, you had these two characters broken up and you've got the two best friends fall in love, but they don't can't tell. And there's, that's the conflict in the comedy. 
would yeah, just, yeah would come around from that. Very I think nice. it's got some potential. Yeah. Thank how you, about? thank you. All right, well, how about your immediate aftermath? Okay, Gary had been trying to come up with ways of bumping into Brooke again. He goes to buy groceries every day at the same time, and he goes to different art galleries when he's not working, but he has no success. Brooke keeps checking her phone and almost calls Gary a few times, but something always happens to distract her. A few weeks pass by, and Gary has almost given up. Then one day, he's getting ready to take a group on a t- guided tour. He checks everyone is okay and ready, and then looks over at a latecomer. It is Brooke. And that's my oh. immediate aftermath. That's just, but that's so like that's so perfectly rom com though, isn't it? Yeah. Where it's yeah. like you know he's looking and he's looking and and then nothing and then he gives up and like he's given the tour and that one last passenger walks on in the perfect lighting and it's Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, and they have that little Lord. smile they have with each other and each yeah. little nod and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like it. And then the music starts and you go, ah, you know where this is going. <laughs> exactly. Oh no, <laughs> that's that's different film. music, different film. film. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, then what about your immediate aftermath? What's happening with the uh, the newly engaged? Well, Addie and Johnny decide to have sort of a reverse intervention. They trick Brooke and Gary <laughs> into meeting them at a restaurant so that the four of them can sit down and talk. Gary and Brooke are very confused when they see each other there, thinking that it's kind of like a, like a fix-up, but Johnny and Addie quickly break the news. After the initial shock wears off and after Johnny and Addie ask Brooke and Gary to be their best man and maiden of honor, they lay down the ground rules for the wedding. No fighting, no hooking up with bridesmaids or groomsmen just to make the other one jealous, no getting drunk, and no sleeping together. (laughs) Gary and Brooke laugh it off, but they are both clearly nervous about the wedding. Then, after months of preparation, the big day comes. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. Well, Phil, why don't you bring it home and give us your long term? Let's see. It's it's kind of that ultimate will they or won't they. So will they or won't they? Well, I think you'll find out quite early what happened. Okay, my long term. Gary stands to give a speech at his wedding to Brooke. Oh, yeah. I guess it's a will day then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. He thinks back to the last two years. They took things slow at first. A few meetups for coffee, things like that. He enjoyed Brooke's stories of her travels, and Brooke had forgotten how much Gary could make her laugh. They started dating properly, and both could see how the others had changed, yet their attraction was still there. A year after they had bumped into each other, they had moved in together, and things were perfect. Sure, there was the occasional argument, but it was the normal kind of thing. It wasn't that stupid kind of stuff you get in a romantic comedy. They were in love, they cared and respected for each other, and both were happy. Now here they were, just married with the rest of their lives ahead of them. Just before he could speak, his brothers took him to one side. There's a guy over there who looks just like you, said Lupus. The one over there with the blonde guy, the one with the wonky nose. Yes, so said Gary. They're not supposed to be here, said Dennis. Gary paused and said, screw it. It's the happiest day of my life. Let them enjoy it too. And that's my after the ending for the breakup. You know that's that's awesome for one, but I was I was trying to think of like a Vince Vaughn crossover, and and the wedding wedding crashers just didn't even dawn on me. But that's perfect. Well, that's one of those things. There's so many. I mean, you're you're focusing on on the love and on the wonderment, and I just thought I'd go for a cheap laugh. But... <laughs> no, no, I like it. I think it's great. <laughs> I could actually see them doing that, having having Vince Vaughn playing just character, just in the background playing the same character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay then, but more importantly, what's happening with your long term? Okay, well, the wedding goes off without a hitch. Gary and Brooke have a lot of fun together, sharing a few drinks, a slow dance, giving speeches and toasts for their two best friends. After the wedding reception, they sit in the bar together, just talking. They realize that they were never destined to be a great couple, but they think that maybe they'd make good friends. They decide that they're not going to let their past relationship get in the way of being good friends to Addie and Johnny. As the years pass, they are there for Johnny and Addie, and Gary and Brooke become the very best of friends. They're present when Johnny and Addie's kids are born, they're there when each of them meets their significant others, and they even stand in each other's weddings. 
Through it all, they never falter in their friendship, and their relationship becomes stronger than it ever was as a couple. And that is the end. Very nice. I like yeah, that. so we yeah. we kind of took reverse turns because usually I'm the kind of sappy romantic ending guy, and yeah, you had yeah. them being together, and I kept them broken up. So it was a little little switch. Yeah, but no, I, th- I think yours is the more realistic ending. I think that's yeah, what would which isn't usually me. my stock and trade. No, but. that's true. It's true, but no, I think <laughs> it's very good. Though I like that. Thanks. I like to keep listeners on their toes because I know everyone was thinking, "Oh, he's going to get them back together," but aha, I did not. No, it's, it went a different way. All right, so Phil, do you have any trivia for us about the breakup? I certainly do, so I'll break it in slowly. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> uh, in the film, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. The bad puns for the trivia section, that's my job. Thank you very much. It's Yeah, I know, but, you know, we're mixing things up. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I just said that. So, yes. all right, I'll let it slide this time. Okay, yeah. So, Brooke, in the film, Brooke gets a Telly Savalas wax job, and it turns out that Jennifer Aniston's godfather was Telly Savalas. Really? Yeah. You know, Kojak, who loves you, baby? Uh, and Vincent Vaughan's parents have small roles in the film. His mother plays a tourist, and his dad plays Brooke's father, which is pretty cool. Yep. And Vince Vaughn put on £26 for the role. Wow. Uh, I think it was made a bit easier because he just quit smoking, so he was probably stuffing his face trying to get over that. Right. Well, it does. It helps him with that classic Vince Vaughn always looks like he spent the night in a dumpster look, you know? Yeah, apart from when uh, in Swingers, when he, you know, he looks so money. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think it was also the fourth film he'd starred in with John Favreau. Yeah, that's not surprising. They like to make movies together. I'm well, okay with that. They're very good together. Yes, indeed. But that is the breakup. All right, very good. Well, let's move on then to one of the biggest films of the 1990s, one Forrest Gump. Yes, 1994's Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis, based on the 1986 novel by Winston Groom, which I have not read. Nor have I. No. Uh, but we have, uh, it starts off in 1981, Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks. He sits at a bus stop in Savannah, Georgia, and begins telling his life story to strangers over a box of chocolates. On his first day of school in the 1950s, he meets a girl called Jenny Curran, who, when she's old, is played by Robin Wright. They become friends. When he's a kid, Forrest had to wear leg braces due to a curved spine, and the way he moves in them influenced the young Elvis Presley's dance style. Forrest ends up getting chased by bullies, and the leg braces fall off, and it turns out Forrest can run really fast. You know, the old, run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Throughout his life, Forrest meets various famous people. He witnesses and also influences some of the major events of the latter half of the 20th century. After all these things happen, he ends up with a fleet of shrimp boats with his old army lieutenant, Dan, played by Gary Sinise. Uh, the character lost both legs during the Vietnam War, and they're both financially secure for the rest of their lives. In the late 70s, Jenny visits. Forrest proposes to her, she declines, but they make love, and she leaves the next day. A heartbroken Forrest goes for a run, and he runs across the USA back and forth for over three years. Then we come back to the bus stop, the one at the start, remember? Um, Forrest explains he got a letter from Jenny, so he goes and meets her. She introduces him to his son, Forrest Gump Jr., but it turns out Jenny is sick with an unknown virus. They all move back to Alabama, Forrest and Jenny marry, but she dies a year later. And the film ends with Forrest and his son waiting for the school bus. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. So, Phil, are you a Forrest fan? I am, actually. I really like the film. I know some people find it corny and cheesy and, and other things, but I, I I really like it. I thought it was done extremely well. Tom Hanks was superb. And the fact it just covers so many different events and the way Forrest is involved, it just happens organically, and it's quite funny. The bit where he, he basically causes the whole Watergate scandal or gets, you know, right. gets it noticed. I, yeah. love that. I love that bit as well, but... Uh, 
I really enjoyed the film. And every time you watch it, there's always these little bits going on. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's, you know, it's it's one of those movies that uh, when it came out, everybody loved it. And then it became so popular and it was everywhere. And then, of course, people had to have sort of that inevitable backlash where yeah, nowadays yeah. people are like, oh, Forrest Gump, that movie, it's, you know, whatever, this and that. But everyone loved it when it came out. It was really fun. It was really different. You know, it wasn't like other movies that were, you know, were around back then. And uh, I, But I, I really enjoyed it. So it, it was fun to revisit it for this. So that was the uh, the rundown of the film. But what do you see happening after the ending. Okay. Well, with Forrest financially set, he spends most of his time just trying to be a good father to Forrest Jr. He sends him off to school every day and picks him up, but he's a little disheartened to see that Forrest Jr. is having a hard time making friends in school and isn't as happy as Forrest wants him to be. In an effort to cheer him up on spring break, Forrest and Forrest Jr. travel to New York City for vacation and to play tourist a little bit. They find themselves at a block party in Brooklyn, and in typical Forrest fashion, he unwittingly ends up on stage right next to the DJ. When Forrest trips and knocks into the DJ, it results in the record scratching back and forth several times, which the crowd goes nuts for. A few months later, hip-hop music is born. <laughs> as soon as summer comes around, Forrest and his son travel across the country, meeting people and making friends wherever they go. Over the next couple of years, it becomes a Gump family tradition to take huge cross-country trips every summer. And on their travels, Forrest accidentally helps invent the Walkman, the computer mouse, the fax machine, and the cell phone, while Forrest Jr.'s encounter with a toy company CEO's son results in the creation of one Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> and that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, awesome. Oh, I like that. Thank you. All right, how about your day after? Okay, Forrest makes sure that Forrest Jr. gets to school, okay? and then heads home. He feels sad in the house all by himself. He misses his mother, and he dearly misses Jenny. So he goes for a run. Losing track of the time, he worries he won't be home for Forrest Jr. He realises he's standing next to a car, so knocks on the door and points. Window calls Forrest as the driver looks at him. Forrest points at the car again. Window, he repeats. The driver finally opens the window and apologises. It was a rental. Forrest nods and asks for the time. He thanks the man, who then asks for directions to a tech conference that he was going to. And Forrest says, well, you open a window and you find just what you need. Forrest runs home. Window, says the driver, whose name tag reads Bill Gates. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's my day after. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, so what about your immediate aftermath? All right, well, a few years later, Forrest meets a woman named Tiffany Nicole Mills. She's instantly taken with Forrest, and she begins to wine and dine him. Forrest is taken in by her, and they begin to have a relationship. While she dotes on Forrest whenever they're together, she has little use for Forrest Jr. and tries to convince Forrest that his son would be better off at a boarding school. Forrest unfortunately lets himself be manipulated by her and sends Forrest Jr. off to boarding school a few hours away. Forrest finds himself depressed with Forrest Jr. gone, but Tiffany keeps him distracted with travel and shopping and other things. However, one day, Forrest overhears her on the phone, revealing her plans to an unknown partner in crime, talking about how she's bilking Forrest for his millions. When she calls Forrest Jr. the little brat, Forrest loses his temper, storms in, and throws Tiffany to the streets. Then he heads off to retrieve Forrest Jr. from boarding school. And that's the immediate aftermath. Ooh, that damn Tiffany. I never trusted her from the beginning. She's a bad one. She's a bad one. Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. So how about yours, Phil? Bring us into your immediate aftermath. Okay, Forrest finishes the phone call he was having, and he turns back to Forrest Jr. and Lieutenant Dan, who was visiting. That was a nice film director called Oliver Stone, he explains. He wants to make a film about our trip to Vietnam. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan rolls his eyes. The conversation moves on to other things, and Dan asks how Forrest is dealing with being a father. I love it, and I love Forrest Jr., says Forrest. I make sure he eats, washes, and says his prayers, and we play catch an awful lot. What did the test results say, asked Dan, when Forrest Jr. leaves the room? 
All fine, says Forrest, passing a letter to Dan. He don't got what Jenny had. Dan smiles as relief washes over him. Late that day, Forrest and, S- and Forrest Jr. go into the city. Forrest helps a man pick out a pair of gloves. He chuckles when he tells his son the man's name was Orange Juice. Can you believe it's OJ? <laughs> and that's uh, that's my immediate aftermath. <laughs> uh, I like it. Okay. All right, then. So what have you got for your long term? What's happening? Anything more happening with Tiffany? Or uh, No, she's picture? out of the picture now. Oh, very so. good. So what's happening next? Forrest arrives at his son's boarding school in northern Florida and rushes right into the classroom in the middle of class. He blurts out to Forrest that he's here to take him home, but he's shocked when Forrest Jr. reveals that he doesn't want to go. It turns out that the boarding school Forrest picked is a school for exceptionally gifted children, and Forrest Jr. fits right in and has made a lot of friends. Plus, he's excelling academically. As it turns out, he's incredibly intelligent. Forrest agrees to let him finish out the school day while he decides what to do. After the school day ends, Forrest meets with Junior's teacher, a lovely young lady named, coincidentally, Jenny. She tells him how wonderfully Forrest Jr. is doing, so Forrest decides to buy a house nearby and move out there so he and Forrest Jr. can be together. Miss Jenny takes a liking to Forrest, and they soon become quite inseparable. Throughout Junior's school years, Forrest and Miss Jenny remain a couple, and when Forrest Jr. graduates, Forrest finally asks Jenny to marry him. She agrees, and they have a huge wedding, with Forrest Jr. serving as the best man. After college, Forrest Jr. becomes a technological innovator, often taking inspiration from his dad to create new inventions, and Forrest and Jenny spend much of their time contributing to altruistic causes and raising money for charities. Over the years, the Gump family goes on to become one of the most beloved and well-renowned names in Florida's history. And that's the end. Oh, I like that. Very nice. Thanks. Thanks. I, I, wanted, a, I wanted Forrest to have a happy ending. I think yeah. he deserves it. Yeah, he does. Well, there's a, there's a li- little similarity with my long term, but, uh, but only That's okay. Bit. These things happen. Yes. Bring us home, Phil. Okay. turns out that Forrest Jr. is a genius, which we all knew. Of course. Uh, he excelled in school and at university, and he ended up working at NASA. Forrest is so happy and proud. He doesn't understand all the things his son tells him about the job, but when Forrest Jr. calls to say he is going to be an astronaut, Forrest totally understands and is so excited he calls Dan straight away. He ends up going into the city to meet Dan to celebrate. While he waits, he sits on a bench and watches the world pass by. A mother and a young son sit at the other side of the bench. The boy speaks to his mother and then approaches Forrest. Would you like a chocolate? The boy asks, offering a box of candy. Forrest nods and smiles. And that's my long term. I was going to have Forrest become a serial killer. but uh, <laughs> An accidental serial killer, to be honest. But I thought, no. <laughs> That, that would have been interesting. Everywhere he goes, he accidentally murders somebody yeah, without that, realizing it. Yeah, but I, I wasn't. It didn't fit in with the whole Forrest Gump thing, so I didn't. That's that's fair. I think I think you went the right direction. Thank you. All right, Phil. So tell us what kind of Forrest Gump trivia you have for us. Damn it! Neither neither one of the movies could I make a good pun out of the title this time. Well, uh, thanks for asking. Oh, but, uh... <laughs> oh, Phil. The trouble uh, is, though, you look, you're looking too much at it. You know, you're trying to find puns in it. You just you, you can't see the forest for the trees. Oh, oh, oh you're killing me right now. Yeah. I, I love it and I hate it all at the same time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I can't, I can't get gump into it. There's no way I can get gump into, no. into a, a pun. No, that would be gump. very difficult. No, very, very difficult. Okay, Tom Hanks wasn't paid for the film. But he did take percentage points, which ended up netting him about $40 million. Yeah, he did all so right. That's, that's pretty good, yeah. In the first scene of each transition of Forrest Gump's age, he wears a blue plaid shirt, which I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks signed on after an hour and a half of reading the script, and he patterned his accent after Michael Connor Humphreys, who played young Forrest. Yeah. 
Bill Murray, John Travolta and Chevy Chase turned down the role of Forrest. Uh, and if any of them had taken it, it would have been a wildly different film, I reckon. Mm -hmm. uh, according to Winston Groom, who wrote the original book, he always pictured John Goodman as the perfect Forrest. Hmm. I, I mean, I can probably see that. Yeah, John yeah. Goodman's a great actor. Uh, the necklace worn by Lieutenant Dan is a rosary with a St. Christopher's medal. It was worn in Vietnam by Gary Sinise's brother-in-law, Jack Tree, so it was quite nice that Gary wore it in the film. Yeah. Uh, Bubba Gump is now a themed restaurant in 33 locations around the world. Yep. Sally Field was only 10 years older than Tom Hanks when they made the film. Well, she's always <laughs> going to be 10 years older than Tom Hanks. That was a stupid <laughs> right. thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Unless she did like an interstellar and got too close to a black hole and <laughs> right. you know, time dilation things. <laughs> and Kurt Russell has said he did the voice of Elvis Presley in the film which is kind of cool because it's Kurt Russell, but he also played Elvis in the 1979 film. By John Carpenter. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's Forrest Gump. Well, I, I like the film. I think it's got gumption. <laughs> and thank you for listening, everybody. That was the end of the episode. I'm Phil Edwards. Mike Spring is no longer with us. No. All right. Very nicely done, Phil. So, uh, well, let's move on then, Phil, shall we, to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. That is where we take a single year from the last 100 years of Hollywood history, and we share our top 10 films from that year. This week, we are talking about 2006. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your famous time travel machine, take us back just a decade ago, and tell us what was happening in the world. Okay, I certainly will. And just imagine there's some cool time travel sound effects in the background. Something like that, but, you know, time travel -y. Yeah. Well, here we are in 2006. As I look around, the UK Prime Minister is Tony Blair, and the US President is George W. Bush. As usual, whenever I do these things and look back at what happened in that year, there were various bombings, natural disasters, a couple of coups d'etat, uh, lots of explosions and some lousy, dreadful things, but let's not dwell on that. No, let's stick with the positive. Yeah, some of the positive. There will be maybe a couple of things, but let's just get on with it. NASA's Stardust mission was a success. It was the first mission to return dust from a comet. NASA also launched the first space mission to Pluto, which we recently saw the results of that, the cool photos in this past, past few months. Back when uh, Pluto was still a planet. Well, funny enough, because... 2006 was the year Pluto was demoted to the status of dwarf planet. Oh, well, so I'm not a fan of that. That was the turning point. Yeah, I know. Just leave my planets alone. Thank you. Uh, also, 2006 had the Winter Olympics in Turin, Italy. Uh, the European Space Agency's Venus Express entered Venus orbit. The Human Genome Project publishes the last chromosome sequence. Uh, the 2006 FIFA World Cup took place in Germany and was won by Italy. North Korea claims to have conducted its first ever nuclear test, but we don't have to worry about that. Nothing's going to come of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you even mentioned that, Phil, because that's more like, a, more like a footnote, if anything. I know. There's no reason. I just thought, oh, that could be kind of interesting. It's got yeah. no bearing on what's happening in the world today. Not at all. <laughs> but uh, Disney announced it was planning to acquire Pixar. Mm -hmm. uh, Saddam Hussein was sentenced to death. Um, number five, 1948, by Jackson Pollock, became the most expensive painting ever sold where it went for $140 million. Wow. And usually we do births and deaths, but that's 2006. You're probably thinking, nobody famous, you know, was born in 2006. Well, you're wrong because Jacob Tremblay, the kid from The Room, was born in that year. There but you we go. did see the passing of Shelley Winters, Chris Penn, Andreas Katsoulis, Dennis Weaver, Don Knotts, Stanislaw Lem, Gene Pitney, Aaron Spelling, Desmond Decker, Mickey Spillane, Red Buttons, David Gemmell, Jack Warden, Glenn Ford, Steve Irwin, Jack Palance, Robert Altman, James Brown, and Peter Boyle. But we did see the film debuts of Army Hammer and Mia Wasikowska. There you go. Two people I like very much. Yes, same here. I do like both of them. All right. But that was 2006. Very cool. Well, let's uh, jump into the films then, Phil. Do you want to kick us off? Okay, yes. My number 10 is 
Slither by James Gunn, a horror comedy starring Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks and Michael Rooker, where we get some extraterrestrial parasites crashing, taking over people and trying to spread. It's like worms going into baths. It's all, uh, but I, I quite like it. It's funny. Some great acting in it. Some good moments. Not quite as good as it should have been, but uh, that's my number 10. Fair enough. I... I... I have complicated opinions about James Gunn, uh, and I, basically I really love Guardians of the Galaxy, and every other movie he's ever made I have issues with, and Slither is one of them. I like Slither, but it, it really, in the end, didn't didn't even come close to making my top ten, so yeah, yeah. make of that what you will. No, oh, fair enough. I, I, I totally understand, especially because Guardians of the Galaxy is quite different to his previous films, even though it's like lots of the humor is similar in places. And similar actors, but yeah, yeah, he's got he's got kind of a darkness to his films that I don't always enjoy, and I found it came back in Guardians Two. Yeah, yeah, it did yes, I'll give you that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, he's interesting. We'll yeah. we'll see. Still, still, some films to be made before I decide how I feel about about him. Okay, no, fair enough. Well, all the people who love Slither, which I know there's a lot of people out there, are going to be really annoyed when I tell them what my number ten movie is because it's the one that I think I'm the only person who actually likes it. But it is Blood Diamond, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Jaimon Hounsou. It is an action drama about the sort of blood diamond trade over in Africa with the you know the child soldiers and all that stuff. A kind of a social activist piece. Um, but I really liked it actually. I thought Leonardo DiCaprio is fantastic in it, and um, and everybody else in the cast is really good too but it does a really good job of sort of mixing the social message with some really good action scenes and I don't know I know people don't really like the movie it didn't do very well but for some reason it just really struck a chord with me uh, so not one of my favorite favorite movies but definitely good enough to to sneak onto my list no I, I quite enjoyed the film as well it almost made my list oh there you go cool okay my number nine is Man of the Year which was directed and written by Barry Levinson and stars Robin Williams, along with Christopher Walken, Laura Linney, Jeff Goldblum, and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And uh, Robin Williams is playing a comedy political talk show host, you know, pretty much like Jon Stewart. And then somebody suggests uh, he should run for president. And there's loads of people email their support. And so he runs for president. And it's all about what's going on in the background of that and how he deals with it. And then there's all this thing about whether the votes, voting's rigged and stuff like that. But it's, uh, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's one of those things I often think when you see these political commentators going, well, why don't you do it? Yeah. And half time it comes down to money, but this was quite well done. It wasn't quite as, as good as, quite as snappy. There was like quite a bit of, uh, baggage in it, you know, bloated scenes, which could have been cut down a bit, could have been trimmed and just to be worked out a little bit better. But it was nice seeing Robin Williams in this kind of role. He always did amazing thing in any role he was in. Sure. But sure. I, I really enjoyed the cut, the whole concept of it all. And the way it all play out, right? But but I mean, Phil, don't you think it's a little ridiculous uh, that a television personality could get elected president of the United States? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, it's it's, it's never going to happen in my lifetime. No, there's no, there's no chance that that would happen. That yeah. somebody who's completely unqualified but is famous would become president. I mean, come on, that's that's ridiculous. Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't either. Okay, well, <laughs> good thing for that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my number nine is a movie called Pulse, and it is a horror film starring Kristen Bell. Um, and it's it's one of those uh, from that time right after, like, The Grudge and, and The Ring and all those movies came out. So sort of this wave of J-horror, uh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. remakes, um, which mostly I hate for the, <laughs> for the most part. Um, but I really like Pulse a lot, and I think it was because it was it was creepy, like most of them are, but it, um, it didn't really pull its punch 
punches. Like I think it was kind of a bleak film, and I really, really loved the ending of it. Honestly, if it didn't have as good of an ending as it does have, I don't know that it would have made my list. But I, I love the way the film ends, and I'm not going to spoil it here, but it's just it's different from what you expect. And so I, I think it's a good, creepy film. Again, not one for the ages, but I, I do enjoy it, and I, I really love the, the chances that the filmmakers took in wrapping it all up. So that's my number nine. Okay, I've got a vague recollection of that, but I, I couldn't, I don't know anything about it apart from, no, no I'm going to have, yeah, I'll have to watch that one then. Every yeah, time it's, it's worth yeah. a watch. I don't normally like the remakes. I, like, I usually prefer the originals of those, yeah. uh, those J-horror films, but uh, okay. No, I have fine. not seen the original of this one. Yeah. It might be a superior film. I don't yeah. know, um, but I do like this one. Okay. Well, uh, my number eight is Crank, it's, uh, directed by Mark Neveldean and Brian Taylor and starring Jason Statham, or The Stath, and it's the one where he's a British hitman in Los Angeles and he gets poisoned and he has to keep his adrenaline flowing constantly so he stays alive. So it's a, it's a stupid video game concept which uh, they just go for it and it's it's a stupid film with stupid moments and I just enjoyed the hell out of it. It was lots of fun, lots of good action scenes, fights and things like that and sometimes I just like a bit of mindless stupidity. I can understand that. I'm, I'm as big a Jason Statham fan as they come. I mean, I've seen every single film he's ever been in just about but uh, I didn't really like Crank. I, I know I'm in the minority. There's a lot of people that has a big cult following. Obviously, they made a sequel to it so there is, you know, there is an audience out there yeah, for it yeah. but I, I think you were right when you said it's a stupid movie with stupid moments. I just went a little too... Too stupid for me. I'm, stupid, I'm not, a, yeah, yeah. not a huge fan. No, fair enough. I can understand why people just wouldn't like it at all. Uh, very good. All right. Well, my number eight is The Illusionist, starring Paul Giamatti and Edward Norton. And it is uh, a movie about a magician and his the woman he loves who falls under the eye of the evil ruler. Um, I'm not making it sound very good, but it, it it's a great <laughs> film. Uh, one of kind of two dueling magic pictures that year. We'll wait and see if the other one pops up on anybody's list but I really like it it's, it it's a neat mine. film oh okay, that's right because Christopher Nolan well it was The Prestige was the other one so which yeah. didn't make my list either actually um, <laughs> I always like The Illusionist much better it's a really cool film it's got a good love story Has it's a really neat kind of I don't know it's like a, a drama slash thriller slash romance type of thing but it was also directed by Neil Berger who went on to do uh, Limitless which was a brilliant film so oh, I love um, Limitless that was really yeah. good yeah so that's my number eight yeah, The Illusionist, it's, as you said, it's a really good film. I preferred it way more than The Prestige. Uh, the, the Illusionist didn't make my list, though, just because I preferred these other ones more. But, yeah, it's uh, it was a nice little... I'm so, it's a pity that The Prestige did come out around at the same time because The Illusionist should have done better than it did. I agree. I agree. Okay, my number seven is 300, which is Zack Snyder's adaptation of the 1998 comic series by Frank Miller. Uh, but it's, you know, the one, Jared Butler, you know, Sparta! And it's... Zack Snyder's stylized way of filming and the slow motion, everything works so well because that's basically what he's done. He's just taken the comic book and he's taken bits and pieces and he's just brought it to life. And I just, I thought it, it did it so well. I mean, we've got great cast as well. Lena Headey, David Wenham, Dominic West and Michael Fassbender. Uh, just, just done so well and I really enjoyed it. Well, my number seven is a movie we went after the ending of not that long ago. It's a movie that my wife absolutely hates more than just about any other movie ever <laughs> and it is Children of Men starring Clive oh, Owen yes, yes. and Julianne Moore and a bunch of other great people. Um, she would be very dismayed to hear me including it in my top ten but uh, it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron who is a brilliant director um, you know, a great visual director but also brings a heart to his movies that I really like. It's, it's action-packed. There's some amazing technical wizardry 
imagery at work. And I just I love a good post-apocalyptic film. It's one of my favorite genres. And this isn't really I shouldn't say post-apocalyptic. This is more of a, a, a dystopic future type of film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love those two. So uh, genre I love, actors I love, director I love. It, it was clearly going to make it on my list. And uh, sneaking suspicion it might be on yours, but we'll see what happens. Well, we'll see what happens. But we went after the ending for that one back in episode 48. If there you, you go. So not, to not too long ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yes. My number six is uh, Stranger Than Fiction. Directed by Mark Forster, starring Will Ferrell, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Dustin Hoffman, and Emma Thompson. This is the one where Will Ferrell plays a guy going about his business, and then he suddenly starts seeing a narrator, a female narrator, narrating his life. And eventually she says he's going to die, and he all starts. It's changing his life. It's all a bit weird, a bit meta. Uh, but I, I quite liked it. It was a bit of a strange concept to get used to, but uh, I think they did quite well. Not quite as good as it, it should have been. But uh, it's, uh, it did the job, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like that movie, actually. It didn't make my list for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why. Well, you know how it goes with these lists. But yeah. I, do, I do really enjoy Stranger Than Fiction, so good choice. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, what have you got for your number six? All right, my number six is a small movie that most people probably haven't seen or even heard of. It is called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And it, are you familiar with it? Uh I don't think so, no. Okay, no. well, but what it is, is it's a it's a mockumentary, which was all the rage uh, in the mid-2000s, and it is a mockumentary about a slasher killer along the lines of your Freddy or Jason or Michael Myers. It's a masked oh, that's, killer. that's ringing a bell. I've not seen yeah. it, but that's ringing a little bell. So Leslie Vernon is this masked killer, but he takes the time to talk to the camera and explain about how he likes to kill people and how he likes to stalk them. And, you know, it kind of gives some of his tips for being like a good slasher. So it's this really funny kind of horror movie that also has some scary moments because it's, you know, so it's sort of a mix of mockumentary with, I guess, a little bit of found footage, but not not really. Um, but it's just a really unique and creative take on the slasher genre because it's kind of like, you know, behind the mask. It's, it's his thought process, his, his sort of, you know, he takes it all very seriously <laughs> and he explains how he does everything and why he does everything. It's just a really fun and unique film. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try and get uh, get that because it, it sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah, I think you like it. Okay, so my number five is a little film by Mel Gibson called Apocalypto. Very good choice. Which uh, I thought, which blew me away. This is the one, this, this is the one set uh, like the 1500s where we follow some Mesoamerican tribesmen and they, they're just living the, the lives and they get involved in this other this other tribe who are dealing with human sacrifice and it's just watching them survive, watching this one tribesman get his family back. And Mel Gibson can direct the hell out of films. No matter what you think about him as a person, over some of the silly things he's done and said, he, he can direct films and direct action. And this one was amazing because it was all done in an ancient language within the film. So it's all subtitled. And it's, you know, you're seeing this side of things which we've never really seen before. It's full of action. You're worried about the people involved, and especially when you see the human sacrifice scenes, but it just thought, thought it did it extremely well. And it was beautiful to look at as well, some amazing shots. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good choice. Well, my number five is United 93, uh, directed by Paul Greengrass and not really starring any famous people. It is the story of the uh, ill-fated United 93 flight that crashed into a field in Pennsylvania uh, on 9-11, widely regarded as, you know, a a heroic group of passengers who tried to wrest control of the plane uh, 
uh, back from the terrorists who had hijacked it. And, you know, I remember this movie came out the same year as World Trade Center by Oliver Stone, which did not yeah, make my yeah. list. Um, and, and World Trade Center is it's, – it's OK, whatever. But I thought United 93 was a really powerful film. It's, it's visceral and it's scary and it's intense and it's moving. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, it's too soon to make a film about – you know, this was only five years after, after you know, 9-11. A lot of people felt it was too soon. But I think that this movie pays real tribute to, you know, not just people on that plane but to, to the events of that day. And I, I find that to just be an incredible movie that I don't think enough people saw. It's not an easy movie to watch. Watch, oh, of but course, it's, yeah. It's yeah. really, really rewarding, and I, I, it, it, it's a film that has really stuck with me over the years, and I, I often go back to it and, and think about it. It's just, it's, it's Paul Greengrass is a great filmmaker, and I think it's one of his best efforts. So, uh, tough subject matter, but if you're in the mood for something a little more challenging, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've not seen that one. I know I remember seeing the trailer and things for it. Yeah, but no, it's, uh, it's one of those ones I will get around to seeing, but I've just, I've never been in the quite the right mood to watch it. Yeah, it's, I understand yeah. that, and I know that's why a lot of people haven't seen it. Yeah, but yeah. it is a really good film, and I think ultimately there is you come out of it feeling uh, you know sad but uplifted because you realize that these people were real heroes and that that's something that you can you know really take some some hope and joy out of yeah I'll, yeah i'll definitely be checking it out cool good stuff okay well my number 4 is uh, little miss sunshine very good uh the one that stars Steve Carell, Greg Kinnear, Tony Collette, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin and Alan Arkin and it's basically a messed up family who go on a road trip uh, to take the, the young daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, to the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant. And we'll follow them, uh, the way they act together. And they're all, they've all got their own problems, but there's some hilarious scenes, some great shots again. A bit, the bit where they're chasing after the, uh, the camper van because you, to get it started, they have to push it. Uh, I, just, I just thought it was really funny, very touching as well. And everybody involved did a cracking job. I, I thought I think it was the first time I'd seen Paul Dano in a film as well. Right, right. And I really liked it. And it was nice seeing Steve Carell do something which wasn't, you know, I think it was probably one of his more serious. Yeah, early on. one of his first more serious. He was making the transition, wasn't he, from becoming like the comedy, comedy only to the, uh, the dramatic actor who's also becoming. Right, right, yeah. exactly. That's my number four. Good choice. All right, well, my number four is a film that will come as no surprise to a lot of longtime listeners, and it is Casino Royale. Uh, as we know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big James Bond fan. Uh, I always have been. I've loved these movies since I was a kid. This rebooted the franchise yet again with a new actor, Daniel Craig, who everyone was all up in arms about because he was blonde. Oh, my God, who cares? Um, but he's fantastic. Obviously, he, he really has inhabited the role and done great things with it. Uh, and I really liked Casino Royale was sort of an origin story, if you will, which had never really been done for James Bond. Um, and I, I just love it. I think it's a really great film, a lot of great action set pieces, really captured the spirit of James Bond, some nice kind of nods and in-jokes to the to the franchise. And it's it's just, it's a great movie. I really enjoy it. And that's my number four. Yeah, it's an excellent pick. Uh, my number three is uh, Children of Man. You've already mentioned it. Yep, we went after good. the ending in episode 48. I'll just repeat it for those of you just joining us. Although I don't know yeah, how you do those people who, podcast, who yeah. skip to 45 minutes into a podcast. for That's how I listen reason. to every podcast. Oh, yeah. Just pick a random spot and hit yeah. go. If the last, you know, if the last 10, 15 minutes don't grab me, I'm not going to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as you said, everything you said is the same for me. It's just, it was so, so visceral and the way everything, you know, there's so much going on in the rest of the scene whenever you saw Clive Owen as well, but there's things in the background, people get lined up and news things and newspaper headlines. There was so much thought and detail. I, I loved it. You did feel it was this, it was this living, breathing world which was slowly declining and sliding into a, a slow apocalypse. It was just brilliant and a great story. Some incredible technical achievements as well. The, the way the camera floated around the, uh, 
the car going in and out the windows and things. That's just phenomenal. When you watch how they did that, you just go, how do you even think of doing it? It's incredible. Right. But uh, Clive Owen, I don't normally like Clive Owen, but I thought he was absolutely brilliant in this one. But that's my number three. Very cool. Well, my number three has already appeared on your list, and it is... Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way as you. It's it's really a great film, and I was really surprised by it because I remember when the, when the movie came out, uh, they did sort of this like weird trailer for it in the theaters that was like almost like a behind-the-scenes featurette, and it was showing Mel Gibson directing all these tribesmen who didn't speak English and talking yeah. about how they were, you know, these were real tribesmen and not actors and that how the movie was in this other language. And, and it was it was interesting, but I kind of remember just going, what what is this movie? Like, why yeah. I, what do I care yeah. about these, you know, these yeah, tribesmen? I, I was the same, yeah. You're going, you're going, you'd read about it or see something like that, and you'd be going... Well, yeah, okay, that's interesting, but no, I'll, I'll right. probably just, yeah. Right, right. And then I, I watched it, and it was just this this visceral action, like nonstop action from almost the very beginning to the very end. And it's it's almost like a giant chase movie, which I love oh, yeah, that. Yeah. I love that genre. And and it's, like you said, it's beautiful to look at, but, man, it just it starts and it doesn't let up until the very end, yeah, I mean, literally until the very last scene of the movie. Because he's got them, some of them stuck in the pit, hasn't it? And the water's rising yeah. and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just so cool and it's so intense and exciting and I just remember watching it being like this isn't like many other movies I've ever watched before and uh, and I've seen it many times since then I just I really love it it is a fantastic film no, I've made, made it was on your list as well yeah yeah very good stuff okay well my number two is the, the previously mentioned Casino Royale very good and as you say, it was the first Daniel Craig, who I'm not sure if I mentioned this. He was uh, born and raised near me. Yeah, it's, I did. I, I like the way they sort of rebooted it. It was like it was a proper reboot. Right. It made sense. We, we sort of went back. We saw how we got his double O, and it was just the action. You know, the opening scenes as well, that chase scene. It was it did everything right, and you got Eva Green. It was a great adaptation as well of the original book. It obviously changed things, but it still had the basics of it. But just so so much, everything just came together. And you, I like the fact you saw you saw Bond, who was more human. He wasn't he wasn't the super spy that we'd seen in all the previous films. He was still getting there, and he was learning the ropes. And it was nice to see that Vesper was the one who sorted him out with the suit and gave him all the gave him some pointers. And I just think it did it so well. And then Quantum of Solace came along and sort of just went. <laughs> yeah all right well my number two has already appeared on your list and it is 300 uh and you know kind of like apocalypto except in, in this case rather than scratching my head about the trailer i remember seeing the trailer for this film and thinking to myself this looks like the worst movie i've ever seen <laughs> i really did i really thought it looked terrible i didn't go see it in theaters and i, and I regret that yeah, um, because yeah. i thought it looked awful like you know sometimes you just see a, a trailer for a movie that turns you off and this really did i just thought it looked horrible. And I never liked the graphic novel, even though I'm a big Frank Miller fan. Yeah. It's one of my least favorite works of his. And so I, I just was like, I'm not seeing that movie. And then it made all that money. And I was like, are you serious? And uh, <laughs> then I got it to review uh, and, and I watched it and I was blown away by it. I mean, this was before Zack Snyder started ruining other franchises. And he <laughs> this is what, what you know Zack Snyder at his best, just taking this really interesting kind of story and, and making it completely different visually from anything we'd really seen before. I mean, just made... That film has such a, a distinct look and style and feel to it, and all of that is a credit to Zack Snyder. So you can say what you want about him since then, but I, I love what he did with 300. And, you know, he, he reinvigorated the use of slow motion, which I think is a tool that has disappeared nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I, I just it, – I love it. It's, it's, it's you know, balls-to-the-wall action from start to finish. Yeah. But, yeah, I do love 300. It's, it's just a fun, fun movie. Okay, well, my number one 
yes. is Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. Ah, yes. Which uh, is a beautiful, dark fantasy film from Guillermo. And I love this from the very first moment. These scenes, just everything. It's it's beautiful. It's dark. It's twisted. The performances, especially by Ivana Bakiro, uh, plays a little girl. Uh, she was brilliant. And Doug Jones. Hi, I'm Doug Jones. And I live for films. Thanks, Doug Jones. Thanks for that again. Good to see you're still here. He's always sitting behind me, just waiting to say that. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just and the, the the creature effects and you know the pale man, which is also Doug Jones. Hi, I'm Doug Jones, and I live for films. Thanks, Doug. Uh, it's beautiful, dark, and oh, just such a good film. And I, I feel like watching it now after talking about it. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't se- if you haven't seen it. Go and watch it. It's it's just a, it's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it, and I'm a big fan of, of Guillermo del Toro's, but it's not one of my favorites of his, I have to admit. I, I think part of it is because I didn't see it actually until fairly recently, and after it's been hyped for so many years as being this oh, masterpiece, yeah, yeah. I... You know, it wasn't it wasn't entirely what I wanted out of it. I do like the film, I, I do, but it, it wasn't quite in my top ten. That's the perils when you see a film years afterwards and as you say people going on about it you're going to go well it's never going to be as good as the what people have been saying right well for my number one film remember all those new listeners we were just talking about at the top of the episode oh, god it's not gonna be number this, one is it mike? this is this oh, is god, this please, is where no. we lose them all please no <laughs> yeah just before mike says this i just want to say to all the listeners I agree with you, listener. <laughs> it is uh, it is no surprise to our long-term listeners. It will probably come as a very large surprise to any new uh, listeners. So so please go back and listen to some of the older episodes. Christ, you, re- you really got to say it, aren't you? You're going to do it, aren't you? I am. It is uh, no, don't do it, don't do it. Pixar's least popular yet <sighs> best film. Oh, good God. Cars. That's it. All credibility is out the window now. <laughs> I know, because now anybody listening is going to be like, well, now I don't have to listen to anything that that American guy says. Yeah. Because he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. I get that. He's just a crazy American guy. We're not listening to him. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I, I don't want to go on too long, but for newer listeners, I love Cars. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's an amazing film. I really didn't know that. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't, Phil. (laughs) Um, I loved it before I had kids, and then once I had kids, it became my son's, like, favorite movie in the world, and I watched it hundreds of times, and I never got tired of it. Yeah, you didn't didn't put it on for your son over and over again until he liked it. No, no, no. Uh, Watch it! Watch this now! Watch it! Uh, I think Paul Newman as Doc Hudson is one of my favorite movie characters in, in any animated film. I love his performance so much, and I love the scene at the end. It makes me cry every time when Lightning McQueen pushes him across the finish line I get choked up just talking about it Cars is is just a great movie everybody out there who doesn't like it is completely wrong and I remain convinced it will be it will be vindicated and eventually people will realize it is one of Pixar's masterpieces it is my favorite of all of their films hmm. I will never get tired of it and I love it so that's my number one it, it had to be my number one for the year you had to know that was going to be my number one film. yes I did and I okay was I was going to say did you really yeah. think it was going to be lower on my list uh, no no I, I did have a film it was going to be your number one and for those listeners who want to hear more about what I think about Cars, uh, <laughs> I've mentioned it in, a, in more than a few episodes. It's come up, but I, I really do love it. So that's my number one. Love me or hate me, <laughs> at least I stand by my convictions. No, I love, I'll, I'll get Paul Newman. It was nice, Paul Newman, being in it. But uh, You know, one yeah. of these days you're going to go back and watch it, and just, you're going to have an epiphany, and you're going to be like, blimey, or whatever you, you Brits like <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I like to go straight to the stereotypes, but Call you're going to say, governor. right? Call you're going to say, what? Gonna... this film is exactly. a top top that's, film. That's, that's exactly what you're going to say. Crikey, yeah. this film 
is brilliant. You're going to realize it, that I'm right all these years. And you know what? You're going to have to come to me and you're going to say, hat in hand. I, I want to go, oh, watch your mic, geezer. <laughs> you're going to say, you were right, sir, and I was wrong. And I, I wait for that day with relish. Well, it's going to be a cold day in hell when that day happens. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? Oh, we talk about Pixar's cars. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's not very good. You're wrong. But anyway, um, that is our top 10 films of 2006. Uh, just listen to the Mike's, you know, just go with Mike's, you know, top nine. 10 through 2, yeah, thanks. Yeah, 10 through 2. That's probably you know what? One. If you're a new listener and you love cars as much as I do, write in and tell us about it so that I can rub it in Phil's face that there are other people out there who recognize how brilliant cars is. Hold on, uh, Doug Jones. Hi, I'm Doug Jones, and I live for films. Thanks, Doug. He just passed me a note uh, saying... I agree with you, Phil. Oh, I just got a phone call from Ridley Scott. And as everyone knows, he is a very well-loved director. And he said that Cars is brilliant. And he couldn't have made a better film himself, which is actually true. Yeah, after seeing any confidence. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's actually true. Well. But yeah. anyway. All right. So that's our list. A lot of in-jokes there Controversial the list. Controversial. Yeah, a little bit. A little controversial at the end there. Just, you could say at the finish line. Oh, I like it. I like yes. it, Phil. I like what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Well, why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about in next week's episode? Right. So next week, we will be going after the ending of Tron Legacy and Super Troopers, and we'll be doing the top 10 films of 1958. That should be quite the fun episode, I think. Uh, it certainly will. And for new listeners, you'll realize that we do cover any and all kinds of films and put them together in a weird kind of mix. And you never know what you're going to get. That you could is... say it's almost, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> oh, Wow. Wow. Yeah, you could say that. I would choose yeah. not to, but it, you know, it's a little on the nose, but you could you could certainly say that. Uh, you see, we have callbacks to uh, previous episodes and that, that was a callback to one of the films we just done. To like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like I like a recent callback. Yeah. All right. Well, Phil, uh, tell people how they can get in touch with us if they want to touch base. Yes. Well, you can find us on Twitter at after underscore the ending or on Facebook facebook.com slash after the ending podcast and you can email us at after the ending at verizon.net leave comments on some of the on some of the podcast platforms you're listening to or you can just you know get a pigeon and put a note on it and might have to whisper after the ending yeah and it will find us oh yeah that that's the best way to do it actually. or raven if you're watching games of game of thrones right right yeah. uh yes please feel free to go on itunes and leave us a review if you are a new or old listener uh those reviews are really valuable and they actually do help us out quite a bit so we would appreciate it all right well on that note then it's time for us to wrap things up here so we would like to thank you very much for listening as always i'm mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending Sorry, I was moving something on the floor by my foot. I don't know why, but it was there. And Well, as long as it's moved, you've, you've done something today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving speeches and toasts for their two best friends. Ah, After oh. What the hell was that? Sorry, I just had a moth fly out right into my face. It must have been... I thought you like stabbed yourself with a knife or something the way you were yelling. No, I just scared the crap out of me. I was just sitting there and suddenly <laughs> it seemed to come out of the microphone. Where's it gone? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Phil, I think I think we know what your your new movie is going to be. The, the Mothraphone 
prophecy. I'm glad I kept my cool when it happened, though. Oh, yeah, you definitely. And, I, I, and let me tell you, there yeah. is zero chance that that's going to end up in the bloopers. That's what I thought, because you, you barely oh, noticed yeah. it. You barely oh, noticed yeah. me doing anything. You were cool as a cucumber. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I made a sound, to be honest. <laughs> no, I almost, I almost didn't know anything happened until you very calmly were like, oh, yeah. was that a moth? Yeah, it's just a moth. That's all it was. Yes, very, very stately and British. Where is it? Now it's gone. Can't see it. <laughs> Through his life, Forrest witnesses. That doesn't sound right. Through his life, Forrest witnesses and also influences. Sounds like some kind of beat poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Through his life, Forrest witnesses and also influences. Okay. <laughs> it does sound like that. <clears throat> Now you just need that, the, like, really obnoxious trombone in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Forest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that took a tangent. No, but trivia. So oh, back to the old gump and grind then. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, it's terrible. <sighs> oh, oh, it's terrible. I'm no, just going to no. gump the whole thing now. I'm not even going to try oh, and. Good God. <laughs> Go any further. So, bye to all the new listeners. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Remember all those new listeners we got, yeah. Phil? So, I I took care of them all. Yeah, it's it's like this pretty much every week. If you don't yes. come back, we understand. Yeah, yeah. No, this is what <laughs> this is what you're signing on for. You yeah. know. But we do have some trivia for Fast. Hey, don't gump us in with all those other podcasts. Holy crap! <laughs> uh, be careful, otherwise Pervy Yoda is going to turn up. Oh boy, we don't. I don't know if people are ready for that just yeah. yet. Go back a few episodes and Pervy Yoda will be in one of them. That's right. Yeah. Loop is going to be longer than the episode. It's going to be seven minutes, the episode. (laughs) It's going to basically be like, welcome to After the Ending. we got some new listeners. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Creo and Jaimon Hounsou. Who? Sorry. (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy joke, you know, Jaimon Hounsou. He says, who? To Star Wars. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, Sorry, it is a, it's it's okay. <laughs> completely, completely threw me off there, got to say. Ooh. Way to take me out of my game there, Phil. Now, here's the thing. Why would I not have gotten that? You saying who? Yeah. I mean, that that's not like that could have been from any of 7,000 movies or well, anything. Well, you had just mentioned, you know, the guy who said it, you know, in, in the film where he said that word. And I, th- I think it was a pretty reasonable impression of him. Mm-hmm. We Ooh. know how good your impressions are. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It could also have been a monkey, Phil. Or an owl with a sore throat. Who? Who? Oh, yeah. See? I got you now, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, just going back to uh, yeah, Daniel Craig, though. He was actually born and raised not far from where I live. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he was born in Chester and was raised on the Wirral Peninsula. Ah, nice. Born in 68, so he's uh, always way older than me. Oh, oh way, he's, he's way so older. Much older. Yeah. Yeah, so there was probably as a chance, you know, I probably... I probably, you know, passed him. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, honestly, you could have been James Bond. I, I know, but I, I told my agent no. Yeah. I'm not, well, I'm not shaving my beard. Yeah, and, you know, you've got artistic integrity. You know, if that's not your thing, you can't You yeah. can't just pander to the masses, Phil. I also said, I, I, I did go along to the audition just to say, no, I'd be too good. <laughs> so I, I do this, I'll have to be doing it forever until I'm really, really old because nobody wants anybody Plus, else. Plus, I don't, I don't want to do all those love scenes with all the beautiful women you're going to throw at me. I mean, you know. No, funny enough, I was saying that I was saying they needed to do more of them. <laughs> uh, and no running as well or physical, you know, <laughs> right. stuff which is, you know, a bit too right. difficult. Right. Your version of James Bond mostly just sits around and watches movies. Yeah, it goes to the pub on occasion. Right, right. I got it. But it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be martini. It would be, you know, a pint of bitter or, or maybe some rum. Yeah, it doesn't have quite the same ring. Bitter pint. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, blimey, there's some good films there. Wow. <laughs> ooh, right, ooh. Governor. <laughs> <laughs> you, but see, you just said, you said, now, was that a genuine blimey or were you saying it because of me? Uh, no, it was a genuine blimey. That's, I wasn't even thinking about that. Damn so it. you see. Damn, I just made it. Oh. To- you walked right into that one, Phil. Oh, you let oh, down God. your whole country. Oh, God dang it. <laughs> Is that supposed to be an American? Well, I, I believe I have okay. heard. Yeah, that, that sounds exactly like all of my friends and family. Or as I like to, you know, oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said blimey. Damn it. 